and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here. And this week in our Sunday service, we had a little malfunction with recording equipment. So I have come into the studio to re-record the message that I gave from John chapter 11. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes these statements about who he is. They're pictures of who he is, and they imply or include a question that every honest heart would have to answer in the affirmative. Like, do you know what hunger feels like? And of course, yes, everybody knows what it feels like to be hungry, but do you know what it feels like to be hungry for something deep in your spirit, inside you? And every honest heart would say, yes, I know what that feels like. And Jesus says, okay, I am the bread of life. I'm that thing you're looking for, that you were hungry for. Do you know what it feels like to stumble around in the dark when you can't see very well? Well, of course, absolutely. Okay, do you know what it feels like to be kind of doing that in your life, like stumbling around because you can't really see how to feel and how to, how to respond. And every honest heart would say, yes, I know what that feels like. And Jesus says, okay, I am the light of the world. Do you know what it feels like? Like in the midst of everybody's normal life where you get up, you eat your breakfast, you go to work, you come home, you eat your dinner, you go to sleep, you do it over and over and over again. You go to school, you go to soccer games and everybody's just living this life. Do you know what it feels like in the midst of that to want more? out of life, to want something further, deeper, more important and meaningful in life. And every honest heart would say, yes, I want more, a deeper life. And Jesus says, I am the gate, the only gate to real, further, deeper life. Okay. Do you know what it feels like? To follow around voices in your life who make promises they don't cash in on, who who lead you around and trick you and take stuff from you, things that you thought were going to pay out that 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 stole life away from you. Do, do you know what it feels like to follow a voice like that, like a sheep follows a shepherd and to get tricked, to get robbed? And every honest heart would say, yep, I've followed those voices like a sheep follows a shepherd. And Jesus says, okay. I am the shepherd, the good one, the one who gives life, my life for you. Jesus is telling all of us who he is so that we will give him our life and trust our life to him. That's why John said he wrote the book. He said, I wrote these things so that you might know that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And by believing you'd have life in his name. And in the midst of this ever-developing picture of who Jesus is that Jesus is giving us, something happened. In kind of the narrative story arc of the Gospel of John, as Jesus is telling us who he is, something terrible happened. And that is that one of Jesus' friends got sick. He got really sick. His name was Eleazar, the Greek version. that, That was the Hebrew name. The Greek version of his name is Lazarus. Lazarus was the little brother of two sisters named Martha and Mary. They lived in a little village a couple miles outside of the capital city of Jerusalem. And whenever Jesus would travel to Jerusalem, the picture we get is that that he would make their little home his home base. Just outside of the city in this little village, they were his people. That's where he felt home. They were his home away from home. He loved them. They loved him. 
And I got to tell you, I, I've always had kind of a soft spot for this little family. I love this combination of, you know, uh, three kids, two girls, and then later comes a little boy. I love that. I mean, for those of you who know me know that that's what Christy and I have. We had two little girls and then, um, we got pregnant again and we went to the, we went to the doctor and the ultrasound tech was doing her thing. And she said, Oh, it's a little boy. And Christy immediately said, we don't make boys. (laughs) And she said, you do now. I've had so many, um, just really sweet and good friends in my life and throughout my time in ministry who have been the little brother of two older sisters. And our sweet Jack is no exception. I just love this, um, this kind of family. And of course, every kid is different. But for me, I feel like I know Lazarus in a way. This family has a soft spot for me. Um, and I think Jesus felt the same way. In fact, at the beginning of John chapter 11... Um, John tells us that Jesus loved this family, but he doesn't just say he loved them and they loved him. He actually says specifically, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He had a friendship with each of them. It was unique. He had a relationship with each of them and he loved each of them and they knew it. They knew that they were loved by Jesus. So when Lazarus got sick, they sent out a message to Jesus a letter, a note, like a, like a prayer. Jesus, the one you love is sick. They sent out this prayer, this message, like a, like a note on a carrier pigeon. And as soon as you let that pigeon go flying off into the wind, you're praying for good, good, smooth sailing winds so that the message can get to the one that was supposed to receive it. They sent this prayer out like a message in a bottle and you're praying for good waves to bring it to the shore of his beautiful and compassionate heart that he would come and do something about it. They sent this prayer out like a, like a text message that you send in desperation. And when you don't hear back, you just keep opening your phone over and over again. And you look to see that the message was delivered. And then you look to see that it was read. And then you keep opening and you keep looking for those three little dots to tell you that that person is writing back. Of course, John goes on in the chapter to tell us how Jesus received the message, how he decided to stay where he was for a little bit longer, and he talked to his guys about it. Most biblical scholars will tell you that Lazarus was already dead by the time Jesus received this note. But whatever the timeline was and whatever Jesus's reasons were, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, they didn't know any of that. So let's go back to Bethany, back to where they were and what they were feeling. They had sent out this message. The one you love is sick and they heard nothing, no text back, no assurance that the message was received and Jesus didn't show up. It was just like a radio silence. And I don't know how many of you have ever felt like you've prayed desperately and then just hoped in silence. And if you know what that feels like, do you know that feeling where you, where you, you, you pray it again and you pray it again and you maybe try to change the words because maybe you didn't use the right combination of words. So you do it in some other different combination. Maybe if I say it right, then it'll click. Or I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point of desperation where you just 
throw out your theology and you just start bargaining with God and making promises and you just, you know, I mean, yeah, we're, I believe in justification by faith and everything, but forget all that. And, you know, for some people, if you've never gotten to the place in your life where you've been so desperate and had so much longing that you've actually thrown out your theology and bargained with God, then what I would say is congratulations and keep on living because that time may come for you. I remember when we first got pregnant the first time and we were excited. Uh, we were surprised, <laughs> but we were excited, except there was this little pang inside Christy because her best friend in the world is her big sister, Patty. And she always wanted to have kids at the same time as Patty so that her kids and Patty's kids could grow up as cousins together and just be as close as they were. And we were pregnant and they weren't. And it was just kind of like, oh man, I always wanted that. And then all of a sudden, Patty got pregnant and it was everything that both of those girls wanted. It was like, our kids are going to grow up together. And we found out they were both girls. And then for those of you who don't know our family, um, at 23 weeks into Patty's pregnancy, she went into labor and and that's, for me, maybe one of the first times in my life where I really learned what it means to pray with all that you are, with everything you have. Sometimes life teaches you what prayer really means. And we prayed so hard, like Martha and like Mary and like Lazarus must be feeling, Lord, the one that you love. It's the one that you love. And, and Abby, our sweet niece, Patty's and Patrick's daughter, at 23 weeks, she arrived too early, too small, with too many issues and problems. And they were in the NICU for six months and after so many surgeries and just so many issues and so many doctor's visits and so much that we all learned and so many prayers over so many years. And it was so difficult. And Lord, the one you love is sick. And how many times did we pray that over... What were hard but beautiful 17 years that we got with Abby. And then uh, two years ago, this upcoming Valentine's Day, the day after Valentine's Day, like Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I will come and get you and take you to be with myself. He came and got Abby and she went home. And we... <laughs> You know, I just feel like I understand the desperation of Martha and of Mary. And as Lazarus got worse and worse, and then he finally, he was gone. He was dead. And then Jesus still didn't show up. And he didn't show up for four more days. <sighs> you know, our church community here in Oak Ridge at Christ Community, we just lost a dear brother. Well, as Tom Job said, you, you don't lose someone if you know where they are and he's with Jesus, but we miss him and we're grieving right now. His name was Hugh Christie. We, um, we all affectionately called him Tudor. That's what he's been called his whole life. He's a junior. He was number two and his family always called him Tudor. And Tudor Christie was just a man who, um, served and loved so many of us. He's one of these guys that like, as he got sick, um, and, and then when he passed, 
so many secret stories kept resurfacing. And, you know, when secrets come out about somebody, sometimes it's not good. And every single secret that surfaced about him is just some sweet way that he served people and never told anybody about it. And so we are in the midst of grieving right now when we've been praying hard. And the feeling that Martha and Mary must have had when Lazarus was gone and then Jesus wasn't there and then he wasn't there for four more days. And then finally he showed up. And this is John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believes, or whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. When Jesus showed up, Martha went out to meet him out of the house. That was really a big deal when in the Jewish community, you would bury a person the same day that they die. And then the family, the close family, they have this thing called sitting Shiva, which is for seven days, they stay in the house mourning. And then the other people in the community would bring them food and serve them and stuff while they spend those seven days in the home mourning. And she left uh, her Shiva to go see Jesus on the outskirts of the village. And she said to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If, and then she added a, but, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again. And then she's like, oh yeah, I, yeah. I know, I know. That's the, that's what we believe. You know, we believe at the end of time, there's this, there's this great getting up morning, this resurrection day where everybody gets up out of their graves and everything. And, you know, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I know that's the system we believe in. I know that's our theology. We're all going to rise one day, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's so sweet. Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha. He doesn't get mad at her. He doesn't tell her to stop saying any of this stuff or anything like that. And and that's because Jesus knows that there are times when life pushes you to the point where you take your theology and you just blah, blah, blah the whole thing. And if you've never blah, blahed any of your theology, I would say keep on living. Because sometimes life pushes you to that place. And she said, that's not what I asked you for. That's not what I wanted. That's not what I expected when I sent you that note, Jesus. Jesus said, your brother will rise. She said, I know he'll rise. And then Jesus said something so unbelievable, so mysterious, so kind of mystical, something so definitely strange that I don't know if she understood it. And all week wrestling with this, I've been asking myself, do I understand what this means? I was saying this to Christy. She was like, what are you talking about next? I was like, it's that place where... 
Jesus says to Martha, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and she's, and Christy said, well, what does that mean? And I was like, I don't know. I got to figure it out. Um, he said, your brother will rise. And Martha said, I know he'll rise. And then Jesus did this thing where he took, he didn't say, I am the resurrection. That's what we have translated. What he did was he took that verb rise. Your brother will rise. I know he will rise. And he took that verb and he turned it into a noun. It's the exact same word, just the noun form of that verb. He said, I am the rising and the life. I am the rising, Martha. And when anybody believes in me, they will live even if they've died, even if they've so-called died. And anybody who lives believing in me, they're never really going to die again. And you're like, what does that mean? We know that they kept talking because whenever Martha went back into the house, she said to her sister, the the master has asked for you. So there, there's part of this conversation we didn't get. And I don't know if he said this to her or not, but I think if she was, if she had a confused look on her face or she's trying to understand this mystical, strange thing that he's saying, he would have explained something like this to her, that he was about to go to Jerusalem and it was about to happen. And maybe just a couple weeks, week and a half or something like that. It was, they were right there at the doorway of what Jesus was about to do, what he came to this world to do, that he was about to go to Jerusalem and he would be betrayed and he would be arrested and he would be mocked and he would be beaten. And then he Wonder of wonders. And I don't even, we say this, you know, you grew up your whole life saying, if you go to church and stuff, hearing that Jesus died to pay for sins and everything. But, but I don't even know how we wrap our brain around it, that the author of life, the one who invented living, the living one himself allowed himself to die. And I don't think I can adequately explain how unbelievable that was, that the author of life allowed himself to die. I can tell you this, though, that when it happened, the whole world went into torment, went crazy. I was reading Matthew chapter 27 the other day, and it's where Jesus is crucified. And you know, Matthew is not the most poetic or artistic of the four gospels by far. It's really kind of highly organized and all this kind of stuff. But when it gets down to the crucifixion of Jesus, it kind of invites you in and reels you in and gets kind of poetic. It's kind of like a, a director setting up a scene in a movie. All of a sudden, every, you know, Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken him? And people think he's calling Elijah or something. And it gets dark all over the whole face of the whole world. And then the people that were at the cross said, let's leave him and see if Elijah comes. He's calling Elijah. Let's leave him and see if it happens. So it's dark and everyone leaves. And in the midst of that moment, it's like the, it's like the camera zooming in closer and closer and closer to him. And then it says, and he breathed and gave up his spirit. It's like the whole thing is narrowing its focus and getting quieter and quieter and everybody leaves. He gives up his spirit. And then all of a sudden the whole thing explodes because Matthew says that the veil and the, and the temple tore from top to bottom and there was an earthquake everywhere. The whole earth is just shaking and quaking. Rocks are splitting open and then death just stopped working. It just broke 
I think Jesus would have explained to Martha, look, I know you don't know what I'm understand what I'm saying, but I, the living one, am about to die. And when I die, I'm going to die so thoroughly, so completely that I'm going to die for the sin and the wrong of the whole world and the whole history of all time. And when I die, it's going to be so thorough and so complete that death itself, the whole world is going to shake and quake and death is going to stop working. Like a web browser, when the Wi-Fi goes off, just server not responding, literally rocks broke open and dead people got up out of their tombs and started walking around the city. It just stopped. He broke death. He died so completely. That was Friday afternoon. And then Sunday morning, he rose to a new kind of life. He wasn't just resuscitated. He didn't just start breathing again. Now, everything about life at that point changed. And what we're living is this sad kind of shadow of what life is now, because Jesus broke death, dismantled it, and caused a whole new kind of life to exist. And he was the first one to step into it. He stepped into a new kind of life so that Throughout the rest of the New Testament, when Jesus would, the risen Jesus would show up, like people, people like freaked out. One time John saw him and fell at his feet as if he were dead. One time a guy that was so against everything Jesus was about took one look at him and changed his whole life in a millisecond. I mean, it's just a new kind of life and we can't understand it. We can't explain it. And Jesus was saying to Martha, I am the rising and the life. I'm going to break death. I'm going to dismantle it. I'm going to defeat it. And then I'm going to rise to a new kind of life. And after that, I mean, anybody that believes in me, they're not even really going to die. They're just going to enter into a new kind of life. And the only reason that you would have the audacity to call somebody dead is because you haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen the new kind of life that I usher them immediately into yet. They wouldn't come back here for a billion (laughs) dollars. You can't even imagine how alive living is now because of what I'm going to do to death and what I'm going to do to life. I'm the rising and the life. Martha goes back inside the house and gets Mary and Mary comes out to meet Jesus, and she says the exact same words Martha said. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she just started crying. And then all the people that were around Mary, they started crying. And then John says that Jesus, when Jesus saw Mary crying and the ones who were with her crying, that he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And that is a pretty bad translation of what was really happening there. That's what it says in English. He was deeply moved. That's not what it that's not what John wrote. John said that he was indignant. He was angry. He got angry. Angry at who? At Mary for crying? No. No. He loved Mary. He understood tears at a loss. No, I think he was angry at sin and death and this whole stupid busted world and this whole broken system. And he was going to go to Jerusalem and die so thoroughly that he broke it all and rise so completely that he would usher in a brand new kind of life. It's something strange and mystical and mysterious that he is doing and has done. And the only reason we don't understand it yet is because we haven't seen it. And what he said to Martha was, I am the rising and the life. 
And anybody that believes in me will live even if they die. And anyone who lives believing in me won't really even die. And then he said to Martha, believe me, it was an invitation. Hey, will you believe me? I'm inviting you to believe me that I'm doing something strange and mysterious that you can't calculate, you can't comprehend, you can't see it, you cannot understand it, but I'm doing it. It's real. Believe me. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and he saw all those other people weeping and he said, where is he buried? Where have you laid him? And they went to the place that he was buried. And then maybe the sweetest verse in the whole Bible, John says, Jesus wept. It's a word that means that he was, he didn't just cry a little bit. He didn't just get misty eyed. It just, it wasn't just dusty in the room. No, he was sobbing. He was sobbing. He was sobbing because of the broken hearts that he loved. He was sobbing over the pain and confusion of loss over, over death and how much it sucks. He was sobbing because he loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. You know, we didn't really go see, um, Patty and Patrick and Abby and the rest of the kids throughout that whole coronavirus. We, um, I mean, sweet Abby's immune system was so compromised that we just we just kind of stayed away and, you know, we'd talk to them on FaceTime and stuff like that. And then at a certain point she started getting sick and, and Patty called Christy and just said, just come, just come. So we went down to Huntsville, Alabama, and we stayed with them for a few really sweet days. And we all got to take turns just sitting with Abby and taking care of her and praying and singing together. And we shared meals and all those things. And then we got ready to leave and, um, we were driving away from the house. We were about a half mile away from their house. And Christy squeezed my hand. And I said, what? And she said, I can't do this. You're going to have to take me back. I'll find a way home. But I can't leave right now. I said, absolutely. So turned the car around, drove back down to Patty's house and um, grabbed Christy's bag. And we walked through the garage into, into Patty's bedroom. And it was Patty and Abby were sitting on her bed. And Patty goes, what? And Christy said, can I stay? And I had her suitcase in her shoes and Patty just started crying and she said, yes, please. And it was just a couple days later that Jesus came and got her and took her home. A few days after Tudor started his chemo, I went to see him in the hospital and it was one of those magical times where, um, somehow his wife, Terry wasn't in the room. And so it was just me and Tudor. And, and he kept doing this. When you go see him in the hospital, you just get up out of his bed and you're like, dude, don't get out of your bed. Just stay in your bed. What are you doing? But he would insist he would jump out of his bed. He would hug me. And then he would invite me to come sit beside him on the bed. And he held my hand and I said, how are you doing? And he said, um, he said, well, I slept pretty good last night. And I, he said, I don't feel as nauseated as they thought. And I said, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, how are you doing? <laughs> and he smiled and he said, you know, buddy, I think I'm going to get there before you. <sighs> and then he went and did it. Jesus 
is the rising and the life. When he laid his life down for me and for you, he died so completely and thoroughly that he broke death. He dismantled it. It's not the same anymore. And when he rose, he rose so completely that anyone who believes in him just steps into a new kind of life. It's more alive than we've ever imagined. And he's saying to us, do you believe me? And I think he's saying that to us about every confusing thing that's happening in our life, everything that he's up to that we don't understand, that we can't comprehend, that makes us upset or breaks our heart or makes us cry or makes us mad. I think he cries with us. I think he understands it when we're upset, when we're mad, all of it. And in the midst of that, he might say to our hearts, even in places that's not about loss, that he might say to us, I'm doing something that you can't understand, something you can't comprehend or calculate or see. It's mystical and it's strange and it's so much better than you can imagine. Will you believe me? One of my favorite lyrics ever was written by an old songwriter from Alabama called Pierce Pettis. And this is our hope. It's our hope about um, Lazarus, about Abby, about Tudor, about everyone that we've lost and about um, so many times that we've been hurt and just how we grieve and hope in a different way than the rest of the world. He said, if I don't get to see you, I will see you again. And if I don't get to hold you, well, I'll hold you again in the mystical union of a love that never ends we will meet again. And if I never told you how much you mean to me, someday I will show you and all the world will see. In the middle of forever, in the company of friends, we will meet again. It's not a long, long time, just the twinkling of an eye. Oh, I know that we will meet again. When tears are wiped away and there's a smile on every face, Oh, I know, we will meet again. So we're forever parted across the great divide, and we find ourselves like orphans, each one on the other side. Just as I love you now, so I will love you then, and we will meet again. It's not a long, long time, just the twinkling of an eye. Oh, I know, we will meet again. When tears are wiped away and there's a smile on every face, oh, I know, we will meet again. He's up to something strange, mysterious, beautiful, and better than we can possibly imagine. And his question for us is, will you believe me? Christ, 
and to die is gain. in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And when I come to die, oh, when I come to die, oh, when I come to die, give me Jesus. And to die is gain. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this world, you can have all this world, you can have all this world, give me Jesus. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord.